It's now official. The Vancouver Grizzlies are in the NBA. The Grizzlies begin playing in the fall of 1995. I was just six years old when the Grizzlies came to Vancouver, and I was completely obsessed with the team. I just loved watching them win or lose. But the true story of my team remains one of basketball's greatest unsolved mysteries. The Grizzlies have the worst record in the history of the NBA. At that time, you know, we weren't very good. They were terrible. We were going into every game thinking we can win. It just didn't turn out that way. It was the first time I ever started drinking beer, because <laughs> you know, I didn't think I could take it. Even though the Grizzlies struggled to win on the court, they were my team. So when they suddenly relocated to Memphis, Tennessee in 2001, it broke my heart. I was shocked. Crestfallen. I never saw it coming. It didn't seem like it was fair, and it didn't seem right. More than two decades later, I'm on a mission to figure out who killed the Vancouver Grizzlies. Like, there's so many people you could point fingers at. For some reason, I put all the blame on Stu Jackson. It almost looked as if he wanted us to not be good. And of course, there was Steve Francis. Oh my god, there he is, there he is, there he is. I think Vancouver fans were absolutely lied to. I'm going to try my best to make this a success in Vancouver. We need to subpoena the financials or something. And I think anytime you know you leave something undone, it haunts you. The truth may be out there, but it is difficult to find. We need to know the truth about why the Vancouver Grizzlies left town. And I won't stop until I do. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Ooh, can you feel the suspense? Hi, everybody. It's your pal, Tim Hanlon. It's Good Seats Still Available, the curious little podcast devoted to what used to be in professional sports. I appreciate your finding us in the uh, vast expanse of podcast land, and um, we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us this week. Finally, we are uh, able uh, to uh, delve into uh, one of the blind spots uh, that we've encountered in our first uh, six plus years of existence. Uh, and that is the six year, six season, at least sojourn uh, of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Yes, the Grizzlies were in Vancouver for six years before they moved to Memphis in 2001. So you kids out there think that uh, a Memphis Grizzlies franchise just grew on a tree and fell on your lap. Well, no, no, of course it didn't. Uh, in 1995, the NBA expanded uh, to two Canadian cities, Vancouver being one of them, the other being the Toronto Raptors. And of course, this was an exciting time in the NBA's uh, growth uh, strategy and history, uh, with Canada being sort of a um, a seemingly conquerable uh, expansion into uh, another country on a regular basis. Uh, Toronto uh, was uh, uh, an enormous success and still around today. Vancouver not so much. And uh, we get into that uh, with our uh, our guest this week, Kat Jamie, who is uh, was introduced to us. Uh, first of all, she's a documentarian. She lives and is a native of, lives in and is a native of Vancouver, British Columbia. So that helps. Uh, and uh, she was introduced to us by our pal, uh, Andy Dolich, who will be returning uh, to this year podcast uh, relatively soon for his overdue part two conversation uh, that we started a few weeks back. And uh, we were uh, uh, flabbergasted uh, to find, and again, we're living in the uh, uh, the ignorance of the United States. Uh, we don't necessarily have uh, all the uh, understanding of uh, the, the media and the culture 
uh, of our uh, our brethren in um, uh, in the Great White North uh, in terms of uh, what media and documentaries and all that kind of stuff. But to our um, uh, tremendous surprise and uh, absolute delight, uh, Kat Jamie's uh, in some respects almost dedicated or devoted her entire uh, early professional uh, life uh, making documentary films uh, to various aspects of this story of the Vancouver Grizzlies. And you'll hear in our conversation coming up in a few moments, uh, this is a um, a personal journey. Uh, Kat grew up in uh, the Vancouver area and, uh, it, it, you know, n- not surprisingly, uh, as a child growing up, uh, experienced the excitement of a brand new NBA franchise coming to Vancouver and and going to games and literally kind of just uh, becoming uh, uh, enmeshed and uh, uh, just fascinated with this franchise, um, the players and the game and the, the excitement of of of, uh, of NBA basketball and Vancouver and 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 all that kind of stuff. And uh, sure enough, in six seasons or so, it's a, a team that. Uh, uh, took off for uh, supposedly greener pastures, in this case, Memphis. And uh, as she uh, grew up and uh, uh, formalized her sort of her career path, um, she wound up coming back to this story, almost uh, a very uh, similar uh, sort of journey that uh, we've heard from various other people and yours truly in, in, uh, in particular for the reason for this podcast. And it's, uh, it's a little bit of lost youth, I think, for sure. Uh, but it's also just intriguing in that um, – we get into uh, just sort of the zeitgeist, the whole cultural uh, phenomenon that the Grizzlies were, what it meant to the city uh, as a pro-worthy uh, destination for a basketball franchise. Uh, what happens when your team leaves? Um, does it, uh, you know, do, do fans still uh, continue to remember and reminisce? Do they completely forget? Uh, all those kinds of things. And uh, I, I highly recommend uh, this film. Uh, for you to view. It is called uh, The Grizzly Truth. And uh, you heard there the um, uh, the trailer for it. It is uh, not yet uh, officially available in the United States from what we know. Uh, I think that will be not an issue in the months to come. Um, but uh, as uh, you can imagine, this is not uh, the first uh, kind of exploration of this story. You may know this name uh, uh, of Kat Jamie uh, from her previous documentary in 2018 called Finding Big Country. That was uh, an ESPN 30 for 30 feature and uh, is available uh, on our website at goodseatstillavailable.com. Search it this episode number 312 and you'll find a convenient link to uh, Amazon Prime video where you can rent it for a low, low price and enjoy it in all of its uh, its glory. And as the name implies, big country, um, uh, Bryant Reeves, right, who was uh, the uh, probably the most known player slash star for this uh, star-crossed uh, Vancouver Grizzlies uh, franchise. Um, and um, it, this is kind of the beginnings of this broader Vancouver Grizzlies story. Uh, that Cat Jamie will take us through. Uh, that is available widely, and uh, again on Amazon, uh, you can um, find it. I believe also in the ESPN Thirty for Thirty library somehow, wherever that lives. I think it's in ESPN Plus and that kind of stuff. And um, and Cat's done a whole bunch of other things that we'll get to uh, in and around 
this Vancouver Grizzlies story. So uh, with all due respect, I think we have stumbled across perhaps the perfect person to kind of get us into the story of the Vancouver Grizzlies and her personal journey and the films and the media that she has created for such. So why don't we get right to it? Uh, this is uh, my conversation with uh, documentarian Cat Jamie we had just last week. Let's talk some Vancouver Grizzlies uh, memories and uh, filmmaking. Uh, please, as always, enjoy. Let's start from the beginning, okay? Sure. Who are you? Uh, what's your sort of professional raison d'etre and, uh, you know, where you're from and all that kind of stuff? And then we'll figure out a way to get into the, the story at hand here because it's sure, really cool. sure. Yeah, um, my name is Kat Jamie and I'm a filmmaker, uh, director based in Vancouver, BC. And are you a lifelong resident? Oh, yes. Yeah, and I'm a yeah. I was uh, yeah, born and raised in Vancouver, um, and I'm a diehard Gr Vancouver Grizzlies fan. All right, well let's let's get into it then. So I, I I'm really curious as as to how you got to your professional career, maybe first and foremost, um, yeah. and then maybe yeah. So uh, independent of the story per se, maybe maybe this was part of the excuse of becoming a filmmaker. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I grew up with a camera pointed at, you know, in my, in my face, really. Um, my grandfather was a filmmaker in the Philippines. Um, I come from a, a family of filmmakers. And so, you know, in high school, I, I was always that, that kid um, who had a camera in their hands. And this is like pre-social media, you know, now everyone documents everything. But when I was in high school, we didn't have any of that. And so I would bring like my family camcorder to, to school. I would film my classmates. I would make videos of the footage I shot. Um, not of us, like we weren't acting in it and anything. It was just like capped, like documenting, you know, our day to day. And and so I've always, I've always just naturally just like loved documenting things. And that's why um, the genre, like documentary filmmaking, is just something that comes very natural to me. It's what I love to do. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how you know in in. I, I went to the University of British Columbia. I studied film production. Um, and that's and I, I've always wanted to tell the story of the Vancouver Grizzlies. That's just one of the stories I've always wanted to tell in my career. All right. Well, let's get into that then. So uh, based on uh, your previous film uh, uh, about finding uh, the big country, uh, which ostensibly is uh, an adjunct into the the broader story of the Grizzlies, which is obviously part of your upcoming film, The Grizzly Truth. Um, yes. Take us back to what I'm guessing is the early to mid-1990s. You as a young lady growing up in the Vancouver area. Um, set the set the tone for us about your childhood, your 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 understanding of the city, and how you become even aware of this thing called the Vancouver Grizzlies. Yeah, I mean, I have an older brother, and so I kind of followed um everything that he did um so when he was into baseball i was into baseball when he was in hockey i was into hockey and then um you know in the 90s when mj was taking over you know every every corner of the world my brother obviously um got into basketball and then i got into basketball and it was it was just a sport that came very naturally to me just like just like fil documentary filmmaking um and it just so happened at the same time that was happening the grizzlies were, came, like had just entered the league and so it was like the perfect time for nba the nba to come to vancouver 
because it was just it I always say like the Grizzlies really cemented my love for the game because it was just so, it's just so much fun like the NBA did such a great job um you know with the and game entertainment um you know we weren't the best team in fact we were one of the worst teams in NBA history but I I truly didn't know that when I was a kid I and I didn't care it was just so much fun to to go to games so you and your brother were were basketball fans prior to the announcement and the arrival of this team or would you yeah. say it kind of coincided I would say before beforehand and then and then you know shortly after the Grizzlies I mean I don't know like the exact timeline but we were we were basketball um I was getting to basketball before the Grizzlies came and then the Grizzlies came and it was just sort of like it was a done deal all right. So how do you discover the arrival of this team? Was it like impossible to avoid? And, you know, it's one thing to sort of like say, wow, cool, a team's coming. But, you know, it costs costs money to get, go to games and, and become a fan and, and sort of take it all in and, and all the souvenirs and all that kind of stuff. How do you as a and how old are you at this point of time when the Grizzlies are becoming a real thing? You can go down the street and watch. Yeah, I was six years old when they came and I was very lucky um, because my grandfather, and my dad would get uh would get tickets to games so i was able to go to you know i um i feel like my grandfather was probably there for the inaugural game like i he, i don't think i was there for that but he would have he would have been there for that and i you know we, we have some like some like film photos that he took from his camera because he was again still documenting everything um so yeah i was six years old when i started going to Gri grizzlies games and when the grizzlies came to town um i still have uh like all of my all of the uh ticket stubs um my dad and my grandfather saved like all the tickets from games that we used to go to. So I have I have it in like my uh, my basketball sort of like scrapbook, uh, all all the games that my brother, grandfather, brother, mom, dad, we, we went to. You remember the first game you uh, went to at GM Place? Not necessarily. I, do, the I don't No, I don't remember the first game, like but my most memorable game was probably when I saw Charles Barkley uh with the houston rockets play because it was like we were i was like that you know that's it's charles barkley and he's like you we we sat in right above the tunnel of the opponents um so it was like it was so cool to be like that he's right there like charles barkley's right there and and that that i think was the most memorable 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 game that i have well, how about I, I guess I was, the question was really more, I guess, around sort of the general aura and senses, perhaps, that you might remember just generally going to oh, games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like mean, a baseball game, you see a, the the green field for the first time and it like this, you know, and you smell the grass and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't again, like I don't remember the first time, but I just I 100 percent remember like the feeling that I got, you know, walking to GM place when you I love walking into the stadium where like. You, you see the court, you see the players warming up, you see the cheerleaders, like the dancers, like with their, with their like pom-poms, like getting ready, the music's blaring, like you, you see all these like NBA superstars, like right in front of you. Um, that Like that's what I remember. Where and when do you sense that you cross that line from, you know, a kid going to an event, you know, a game, an event, you know, it's going it, to with a crowd and all that kind of stuff to let's call it fandom or this is something I, I need more of on a more regular basis. Um, Sorry, like you mean, when did when did I become a. Just yeah, a like when when did like you, when did the fandom really start to happen? Right. Uh, I'm guessing as a kid, you're, you know, drawing uh, diagrams of plays or you're 
seeing certain players that are particularly interesting to you that you might want to follow or maybe have on your jersey or or but it's one thing to go to a game you know as a curiosity and as an event once in a while but it's quite another to kind of fall in love with a team right it's only there for six years um i'm guessing there's a a, a fandom there that sort of gets the, you're following the, the stats that kind of stuff um i was just i was still like when the grizzlies left i was still just 12 years old um and so it's not like i was like you know i wasn't definitely wasn't one of those fans who was like you know looking looking up stats or memorizing stats or any or anything like that i was just you know i think i was still just a. Uh, uh I, like a kid a kid who was just so um taken by what i was seeing and and just so um so energized and i guess maybe like the word i would use like is inspired like just you know just so blown away by by the magic of it all um and you know i i didn't start collecting i only started collecting grizzly stuff long after the Grizzlies had gone. I, 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 every game I was allowed to get like one small thing from the, um, from the gift team gift shop. And I never wanted, like, I never wanted clothes because <laughs> like, as a kid, like, why would you want a sweater? Why would you want like a Jersey? Like I, like I wanted like a keychain, like a basket, like a Grizzlies keychain. I wanted a small Grizzlies basketball, like things like that. Um, and it was only until the Grizzlies left that I started to like, you know, want, like grizzlies clothing and grizzlies paraphernalia and so that like the fandom maybe i i don't it, i was still a fan as a kid but maybe like the fandom started long after the grizzlies left so okay that's is interesting all right so let me ask then a, a two-part sort of follow-up to that all right so number one when in your older life did you start to kind of look back and say hey i wouldn't mind having a few of these more memorable uh souvenirs shall we say or i'm really becoming more of a fan of this thing that didn't exist that doesn't exist anymore and then the second part is does it go back to maybe a feeling that you had when at 12 years old the team was leaving how did that go over with you at that time oh man there's lots of these are uh there's i, I have to like dig, dig in the memory bank for these these questions um they're great questions but i mean I don't want to say I wasn't a fan as a kid because I, I like I totally I still I mean I, I would can still label myself a fan as a kid, but I was just you know I I think I was still quite young you know to uh, to be it's not like I was like um, looking at the schedule as a kid and being like okay like we have to win this many games for us to you know make the championship or whatever it was it was like there's a Grizzlies game today and I want like I really want to go you know. Um, and again, I attribute to that just being, you know, six, seven, eight years old um, and still quite young um, and just being, yeah, just, just, just viewing the Grizzlies with uh, like, like viewing and yeah, watching games and watch and, and being a fan of the Grizzlies through a child's eyes. Like I, maybe that's just the best way to explain it. Um, I don't know. I, I, that, you know, in terms of, the question about when did I start to want to like collect things? I, you know, I, in, in, I was always a basketball, a huge basketball fan. Even when the Grizzlies left, I was into space jam, my, my room, like I have all the space jam toys still. I was, you know, Steve Nash became my player when the Grizzlies left. Um, you know, I, 
I was just a huge fan of the game and not not just the Grizzlies, but just like the game of basketball. My room was just like covered in bas basketball stuff. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't remember. I don't remember when I started to want to collect Grizzly stuff. I had Grizzly stuff in my room from when I was a kid. And I don't I can't say like when I wanted more stuff, but I do. I do remember seeing things um pop like you know going going seeing more things in st in vintage stores like when i was in university no 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 maybe it was even after university it was probably after university and that's when i started to make friends with collectors and who knew i was a huge fan who and you know they i think collectors really love it and when you when they find people who are actually fans of whatever you know in my case it was the grizzlies um to sell their things to they don't they don't don't just want to sell it to anyone they'd rather sell it to someone who actually um like understands the backstory behind items and things like that so i had a friend who is one of the biggest grizzlies collectors and and you know he would he, he started selling me stuff and and i just started to um to collect more and more things and the great thing about these movies is that people you know, watch the film and then they'll say, oh, I have a box of Grizzly stuff, like, and they see how much I love the team. So they'll send me a message to be like, hey, do you want any of this stuff? Like, it's just sitting in my, you know, in my attic or whatnot. So that's also been a way uh, for me to, uh, to make my collection grow. Well, I want to get into some of the elements of the films in a second, but it almost feels to me like uh, your appreciation for this team almost... Uh, grows or has grown uh, in the in the years that have piled up since they left versus maybe the actual six years that they were there or or maybe it's just a different sort of framing right because in some respects it feels like this is a team that kind of it literally lives on in the form of, of Memphis right but it's also sort of suspended in time and it's it's kind of something that um maybe a mythology sort of grows around it, especially as you come into contact with some of those people with, with those souvenirs and, and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, Vancouver Grizzlies merchandise is probably some of the hottest merchandise like in the market in Vancouver. It is so hard to find. They sell so quickly and they go for a very steep price now. Um, and some collectors have gotten mad at me for blaming my films for driving up the prices so they can't, they can't, it, it's harder for their collection to grow. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I, it, their popularity has skyrocketed sit like after they left, um, after they left Vancouver and you walk down and you see the street in Vancouver, you'll see many people wearing grizzly stuff, many young people wearing grizzly stuff. And sometimes um, I've had conversations with people who have no idea what the team is or, or, or the jerseys are, and they're, they're wearing it and they have no idea um, about, you know, the, the team's uh, origins or history, which is kind of funny. All right. Well, what's also kind of funny is that, um, I know it's funny. It's, it's, it's serial comic, I guess. I like in, in the, uh, in, in the finding big country film, right, you're, you're going on the streets of Vancouver, Asking people literally, you know, do you remember the Vancouver Grizzlies? I think yeah. you even interview or, or find somebody who actually even has a piece of Vancouver clothing, on, a Grizzlies yeah. clothing or something. And 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 almost to a person, they don't know. And I, I'm just it's really interesting to watch your reaction to that. But it's almost like you expect that to be the answer, which is itself a little sad, maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the guy in Finding McKendry who's wearing shorts and he's like, I don't know who. I think he's just. I think he just wasn't being the nicest person. I I do think he probably like did know who the team was, but just didn't want to talk to me. Um, but it always gets a really, it gets such a big laugh whenever we we screen it in, in front of a live audience. Um, but yeah, I definitely am surprised. You know, when people when people you know when I ask them if they know who the Grizzlies are and they do, and it's a. But at the same time, I think now that the films have been made. There's so many, uh, like I've met so many people who were huge fans of the team while they were here. Like everyone, if you grew up in Vancouver in the '90s, everyone kind of has at least one Grizzlies memory. Yeah, it may actually, it may be not too dissimilar than uh, a previous generation, say in the uh, late '70s, early '80s, with the original incarnation of the Vancouver Whitecaps on the soccer front, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I suspect it's also, you know, because that came and went too. On a, on a strange basis. Well, let me ask you this question then. Where does your uh, personal and budding professional interest in filmmaking coincide, overlap, crash into your evolving fandom uh, in retrospect of this team? Like, how do you, what's the, what's the leap that you make and go, I got to make a film or at least one to either pay homage to this team or find out answers to questions about this team that I never really found an answer to. Yeah. I mean, um, when I was in university, ESPN's 30 for 30 was a huge, it was a series that was just starting coming out that I absolutely loved. Um, And, you know, I was, I played, you know, played basketball. I, I, I come from a sports background. And so a series like that really inspired me. And I was in film school at the time and I was always like, man, like I want to one day direct a 30 for 30. And I, I already know the story. Like I want to tell the story of the Grizzlies. And because of my, the more digging I did with the team, I realized like how, like, you know, how we weren't the greatest team. And, and that kind of made me, it intrigued me because I didn't know that we were that bad. And I felt like, the team meant so much to me and inspired me in so many ways that it was like, okay, I really want to, I don't think anyone can tell this story. Like I, I can tell it because I think that no one will have the same respect for the team and the same love for the team that I will have. And therefore no one can protect the, their story like I can. And so that's why I want to be the one to tell this story. So I guess, yeah, in university, that was sort of like, I I was like, I want to make a 30 for 30 and I want to make a 30 for 30 about the Vancouver Grizzlies. That was sort of always the the dream. So in the ideation process, what's your hook? What's your thought process, right? Because finding big country doesn't seem to be like, this is the Vancouver's Grizzly story, Vancouver Grizzly story. As a matter of fact, you obviously, the sec, the subsequent film is a little bit more, I guess, broader or bigger story, but how do you, how do you narratively create a hook uh, to, to sort of, hang your hat on, so to speak, to put a film together uh, uh, functionally. So when I was first um, brainstorming, like what to what to do, I was like reading every article about the Grizzlies and every article with the Grizzlies ended with the only player that hasn't publicly commented on his time with the Grizzlies is Bryant Reeves. I was like, and literally every article ended with that same line. And so I was like, I'm like, I, okay. Like I know my hook, I know my angle. 
I'm going to find a big country. And at this moment in time, I wanted to make a feature. I wanted to tell the full story of the Grizzlies, but I was like, okay, but this will be my hook. Like, this will be the, like, the main narrative thread. Um, we ended up getting it financed. Um, and with the amount of money that we had, the grant money that we had, and the time that we had to deliver the film, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to tell the full story of the Grizzlies. So it was going to be, so Finding a Country ended up being, we were going to use it as a proof of concept. And it was supposed to be just like a 20 minute film. But in the edit room, we just like we were like, let's just make it what it needs to be in whatever that that time frame is. And it ended up being a 43 minute film. And then it made a really big splash when it when it got released and it opened so many doors. Um, and again, I always knew I wanted to tell the full story. So even when I was interviewing Brian, like Big Country for Finding Big Country, I banked so many more questions that never made the final cut because I knew I still wanted to, to tell the full story of the Grizzlies. And so, yeah, so that was always the plan. And and thankfully, yeah, Finding Big Country did did really well and opened doors and, and we were able to get, uh, you know, people on board the Grizzly Truth right away. It still took two years to fully finance, um, but that's kind of, yeah, that's how, that's how, uh, the the hook came and and how everything else kind of fell into place well reeves is 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 a it's an interesting uh a very interesting person to kind of uh centralize that story right because he was the first ever draft pick for this team and, and he was basically played his entire career uh in vancouver and i think maybe for one further season in memphis if i'm not mistaken or maybe he left just before I, the move i don't know um but it's interesting i mean without revealing too much because we we certainly want to encourage people who have not seen either film to of course see them but um um did he want to be uh interviewed uh for this and and what to, to without sort of giving stuff away i mean source of his reluctance or uh unwillingness perhaps to kind of talk about it um seems odd from the outside right yeah um i mean no one it, i just knew that from from my research that he was just really hard to track down and a lot of people who like Barry, uh, Barry Trammell, who's a famous sports reporter in Oklahoma, was just like, you know, best of luck. I don't think you're going to get him. But like, because we've been trying to get him for years. But, you know, because it, it's not that Brian doesn't want to talk about this stuff. It's just that he doesn't like he would rather be with his family. He would rather be on his ranch. And I have so much respect for that. But, you know, I was able to. um you know, yeah, again, spoiler alert, I do find Big Country. Um, still watch the film, as you're saying, uh, Tim, but um, um, Bryant, I was able to, to, you know, get him to sign on because I got his his teammates and his friends on board and, and they, I built a really good trusting relationship with them and then they uh, kind of convinced him to do this. And so Bryant, Bryant was just, so kind and so we had a blast filming this together and 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 i felt like he i don't think he was humoring me but i felt like he he understood what this meant to me as a as a childhood fan and that's why he decided to do it so putting in that in that framework then would you how much of these films are about the story uh in particular that is the history of the team the 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 time that they were there, what it meant to the city and, and why they came and why they left and, and how much of it is, if you will, about you. Uh, sorry, the grizzly truth you mean, or like the, 
Well, both of them, really, because they're kind of they're personal investigation, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I never set out to make a film, make films with me being like arguably the lead protagonist in. Um, I when I pitched Finding Me Country for the first year, I didn't want to like I never. I would only include myself in the pitch when uh, I could tell that people weren't interested in the in the story because people, you know, were like the Grizzlies. What, like, you know, I don't think people are going to remember, or not that many people will care. And then I had to kind of, and then I would, and I'd say like, no, I, I, I know there's a market for this, but also like, here's my story. Here's my, here's my connection to the team. Here's why the team is important to me. And then I, you know, I brought like, um, a document that had like a bunch of like pictures of me as a kid playing basketball i had drawings of the grizzly of, of like um the drawings of, of the grizzlies when i that i made that i drew when i was a kid and that's when people started to lean in and say okay tell me more this is yeah now now i'm starting to see it or now i get it or and so yeah so that's kind of why uh, my story kind of got intertwined with finding big country it's, and then f- even funnier is that after finding the country, I was like, okay, I was in that film. I don't want to be in this next one. And I want to just, uh, I want this to be sort of like a more traditional, like, uh, documentary about the Grizzlies, but because of the success of finding big country, our, our, like our exec producers, our broadcasters were like, no, now we, we want you in this one too. So, um, which is also, you know, it's very, it's very tight. It is tiring to be director and like in the film, but it was also just still such a blast. I had so much fun, um, you know, being on camera and uh, and being with the, you know, interacting with the players. Well, no, there's there's absolutely something to be said there, right? Because it's a um, it's not just a, a a convention or a hook per se. I mean, in many respects, this is this is a personal journey for you. I mean, it's it's a it's a you're going back in time to your childhood. I'm sure there are things that you're you're trying to sort of uh, 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 align with what your initial impressions or memories were. I mean, I'm sure when you were seven years old, you didn't recognize that the team was on their second or third coach of how many coaches did they have? They had like five coaches in six years, right? Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. didn't sort of meticulously remember that, but um, but it's also it. it it's kind of a so it's kind of a personal journey too, and um, to the extent that your childhood it was in, in a big part of your childhood. It's a good six years was enmeshed with the existence and then the disappearance of this team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've spent like I joke and say that I I've spent majority of my adult life like researching the Grizzlies and and trying to tell their story. So it's been. They've been a huge part of my childhood and a, a huge part of my my adult life as well. All right, what's this? 417 Helmets. My goodness. Well, you've heard me talk about 417helmets.com, collectible helmets and more on this uh, very show. Uh, fairly often, our pal Judd Lesher down in uh, southwest Missouri, I think in the Springfield, Missouri area, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, what is it? 417helmets.com. Well, first, if you dig uh, all of our great football stories and episodes of the past, and you'd like to commemorate some of them in mini helmet form, really cool, sort of literal, high-quality 
professionally, you know, made materials, but in a mini format that you could put on your desk or uh, put on your uh, in your bookshelf or whatever it is. Uh, and just about every league that's ever existed, save from the NFL. Uh, we're talking XFL, uh, old versions of uh, the WFL. Remember the World Football League? How about various teams, both current and past in the Canadian Football League? But also NCAA teams of your and NAIA college football teams of your all of them and many 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 more available for you at 417helmets.com but oh that's not it that's not it friends there's plenty more to be had how about mini baseball helmets yeah uh, a whole bunch in the negro leagues and yes officially licensed by the negro league hall of fame you can get a bunch and they're making more uh, all the time and by the way custom helmets can be made too both of the baseball and the football variety you got your uh, your business, uh, uh, maybe a promotional thing you want to do for your company, uh, perhaps your organization, you want to raise some funds, all that kind of stuff. Great custom approaches to both mini football and mini baseball helmets can be made uh, at uh, your uh, command uh, for uh, uh, you to enjoy and to sell or resell or give away all of that and more. That's the more part at 417helmets.com. It's collectible helmets and more and uh we've got a promo code for you too for whatever you purchase all of them all of your purchases 10 percent off all of those uh when you use the promo code good seats again promo code good seats for 10 percent off all of your purchases at 417 helmets.com thanks judd and uh thank you all for listening and trying them out and now back to our conversation Let me ask you this. As you approached both of these films, and maybe you approached them differently because you learned stuff in the first one, of course, that informed the second one, what did you think you knew about the team? And I guess in in, in the first one's uh, case, a big country. Uh, and what did you learn in the process that might have changed or um, rejiggered your memories or your thoughts or your belief set, if you will, as you learned and talked to people in their memories? I mean, for the grisly truth, I I really didn't understand why the team left. Like, it did feel like they kind of up and left. Just one day they were here, the next day they weren't. Um, and so it was just really interesting to get to speak to those. And, you know, everyone has an opinion about the Grizzlies. Um, everyone, you know, has someone to blame uh, in terms of, you know, fans. But when you talk to people who are actually in like worked within the organization were actually there they have such a different uh perspective and that's when as a filmmaker that's when i was able to recognize okay there's something here because clearly everyone's like wires are crossed because the people who actually ex live the experience of the grizzlies have such a different story to tell from like super fans who are coming up with like all these like scapegoats and conspiracy theories and so i kind of just wanted to make something that could kind of um you know set the record straight and and you could actually hear yeah hear from those who were actually involved um and uh so yeah i guess i mean what did i what did i learn i i, I just tried to keep an open mind and was really just trying to understand uh you know 
how complex the situation was and you know that yeah so i guess i don't know if that answers your question yeah i mean when you're talking to people though in in the process both the behind the scenes and on the camera i mean would you characterize the people most of the people that you talk to as uh remembering these six years or so fondly or wistfully or in some cases maybe even worse um are, are they that disparate in terms of their memories or are they was there a universal theme of you know, good times. We didn't know it, that kind of thing. Or what was there a general consensus in the, as you were talking well, to people? I think it was a mix. It was definitely a mix. There's people like, cause I, I interviewed maybe like, oh man, we did sit down interviews with like 50 plus people. I did phone interviews with like a hundred plus people, uh, phone and zoom interviews. Um, you know, there are fans who, you know, we interviewed childhood fans who, who like still remember like the magic the team brought them, but who still are so heartbroken that the team left. Um, you know, we interviewed people who um, like worked for the organization who, yeah, it was like, it was a mix. It was like, you know, people who look back fondly, but also I guess maybe that's a consensus. It was like, we look, we they can look back fondly at, at how, how, beautiful the time with the Grizzlies was, um, but also how painful it was when they left and how hard that was. Any personal tragedies in, in that mix or is it kind of people just like say, hey, that's just the business, that's basketball, comes and goes, that kind of stuff? What do you mean by personal tragedies? Um, you know, some people, I, depending on the themes and, and how uh, times in their lives and stuff. I mean, I one I could see. look at, at big country not being uh, that uh, easily findable for example he might have harbored some ill will or some um you know obviously you disavowed that you know by by getting to him but i mean you know that there were six coaches right <laughs> in six years uh i wonder if uh, any of them left uh, uh a bitter taste in their mouths as they were trying to right the ship so to speak mm -hmm. i mean i think everyone was within the organization didn't want at least you know not the not the Memphis, because, you know, the the team that eventually brought the team to Memphis, but those who were with the Grizzlies from day one didn't want to see the team go. You know, people who, you know, once the Grizzlies left, like so many people were out of job, like their jobs, right? Like this was, the, this had been their job. This had been, um, even like, some, you know, some of the, um, I interviewed some of the dancers who were, you know, still, some of them were quite young and were in like university college who wanted to, uh, to work in sports and sports like management, sports media and, you know, and like the goal was like the NBA, you know, I'd love to work. And, and so, so like that dream of ever working for the organization kind of uh left with the team so in that sense it was like it was very sad that the team left and there was a, there was um tragedy in that in that sense where a lot of people lost their jobs um when the grizzlies moved to memphis yeah it sounds to me too there are, there are a couple of other things that again in hindsight you probably discover in the conversations and, and setting this up versus uh in the actual years that you were in the stands right i mean there was a you know a labor issue in 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 ninety eight which didn't help, and I think frankly the fact that uh, maybe to a lesser extent in Toronto as that uh, expansion franchise was was granted around the same time, there was this uh, currency exchange thing between 
uh, Canada and the United States. And and it's the proverbial uh, issue of, you know, uh, the, the value of a Canadian dollar not being the same as that of a U.S. dollar. And the fact that it's a, a, a league that, that at the time and, and certainly now plays in both both countries. Um, it almost feels like there is a, this is a whole bunch of uh, those things in particular almost conspiring, uh, maybe also uh, negatively, uh, as well as the fact that there were multiple owners and uh, the inconsistency, I guess, perhaps of management. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was exactly like kind of all of the above what you're saying. Just like a, everything that could go wrong went wrong for the Grizzlies. Just, yeah, that's kind of how that's that's what I like to say. But you didn't sense any of this as a kid, huh? You just kind of papered over that in your in your fandom, so to speak. Uh, you just were there for the for the games and, and you didn't care what the adults were really doing behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think many of us kids did care. You know, I, I didn't care that we lost like 20 games. In, I didn't I didn't really the games were just so much fun. Um, maybe had I been older, I think had I been older, like there's a bunch of, you know, when, when the finally country played people, maybe a decade uh, older than, than I was at the time would come up to me and be like, you know, they, they have a very different memory of the Grizzlies. So it was actually maybe a good thing that I was so young when the Grizzlies came to be. Okay. Do you think that, um, uh, if you had been older, that you would have been as much of a fan per se, you, would you have been more shall we say, discerning or cynical or um, it, 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 I, I guess I got to think that that it probably wouldn't be the case because Vancouver was a basketball city. That's a big deal at that time. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I I, uh, I, I probably, yeah, I'm guessing I'd still be a fan. I don't know how much um, the losing would have upset me. Um, maybe it would have. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I'm just trying to think of, you know, the thing I, I love about Grizzlies fans, even, even the ones who might've been uh, upset that we lost so much. I still think that the Grizzlies, the, the thing I love, one of the things I love most about the story of the Grizzlies is the fact that we were so bad, yet we had a really great fan base. And I feel like that's like the essence of sports is like, it doesn't matter win or lose, we're still going to show up and we're still going to like cheer for you and we're still going to support you. And that's the Vancouver Grizzlies word to, to the fan base. Like that's what the fan base, um, that that's what we were to the Grizzlies. So I, I, I def one of the goals of the film was to really highlight, um, the fans of the team and how much we love the, love the, love the team those who were my age and those who were, you know, a bit older who might have understood uh, what was going on even more than I did. All right. Well, let's round third base here and bring this into home. So let me let me ask you this. Given that sort of um, fond assessment, I guess, of the Vancouver fan base, obviously, that's in the 90s, which was a number of decades ago. Um, what of the market today, would you say? I mean, if the circumstances were uh, uh, you know, possible where, and I think right now, right now, NBA expansion and relocation uh, is definitely on the table these days. Um, do you think Vancouver is, uh, still or newly suitable to house and, um, cheer on an NBA franchise or has time kind of marched on and, and uh, sensibilities being different or, or is there an untapped fan base, say like in Seattle to kind of bring that back? No, I think I think Vancouver could 100% support a team. Um, you know, whenever there's an exhibition game, 
uh, NBA exhibition game here in Vancouver, we sell out instantly. Doesn't matter who's playing. I think there's, yeah, there's, there's like basketball has just grown since the Grizzlies left here in the city. So I 100% think that we could support a team if the NBA were to come back. We just need, <laughs> we just need a rich billionaire to, uh, or a few rich billionaires to to buy the to buy the franchise for us. So let me ask you this: Do you, and then by extension, uh, the fans that you know or learn uh, came to to meet, and and maybe even some of the subjects of these films, um, what how, do you do you care about the Memphis Grizzlies? Do you follow them? Do they follow them, or? Is the Vancouver Grizzlies of the six years before they moved to Memphis pretty much a time capsule and it ended when they left town? Um, it's that's a complicated question. Like, I, you know, I when the Grizzly truth, not to give too much away, but I, I do end up going to Memphis. I, I you know, I make I, I get to know the, the people in Memphis and I kind of fall in love with with uh the community there um, who fully embrace me. And, um, you know, I learned some valuable lessons while I'm in Memphis. Um, you know, when people still ask me, who's your favorite team? Who, who do you cheer for? I'll, I'll still say the Vancouver Grizzlies, even though the team doesn't exist. Um, but, you know, I still, I, I, I now, I, you know, before I, I made the Grizzly truth, I think I was a bit more jaded towards Memphis. I, I I'm not now. Um, I, you know, I do think that our legacy lives on through through that city. Um, and, you know, I think the film uh, definitely I, I've heard that the film is very cathartic for 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 diehard Grizzlies fans who need it, who need closure, who now can can maybe they might not be diehard Memphis fans, but they can now, you know, watch a Memphis game without feeling like the pain that they had once before. There's something we kind of discovered over the course of doing these silly little shows uh, is this sort of this idea of retro, we call it retcon or retroactive continuity. Um, and it's a little bit more uh, applicable for, say, I don't know, a, a Minnesota North Stars merging into what is now the San Jose Sharks in the NHL and, and, and a, 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 a you know, a, a recognition that or or the Colorado Rockies or the Kansas City Scouts, which then merged into the New Jersey Devils. Um, and the the question or the issue around that is how much or how little do the uh, current versions of these teams uh, embrace what came before them? And again, mm-hmm. I don't want you to give it away per se, um, but I, I guess I'm curious based on your your learnings, how much or how little the Memphis organization remembers the six years of Vancouver or would they and the NBA prefer those sort of not to be remembered? No, I think, um, I think that uh, the Memphis organization has in the past honored and remembered their roots. Um, They had the throwback jerseys uh, for the 25th year anniversary. Um, You know, they kept the name. And I know that, you know, if we ever wanted an NBA team back, it, you know, I, I'd have mixed feelings because I, I do love the, the, the Vancouver Grizzlies like that, that. Like, I don't know what other mascot we we could choose um, that would be as like powerful and as good as the Grizzlies. But um, like they kept the name. And I think that's one of the, you know, one of the things when I was interviewing uh, someone who worked for the Memphis Grizzlies, who was saying like, that's um, that is 
one of the like that's one of the ways where they um it's not like they took the franchise and made it something else they kept the name so it's still you know what i mean so it still has like ties to vancouver um a lot of the records that uh within the organization are still kept are that you know they 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 still uphold the records of like Sharif and Big Country and Mike Bibby and whoever else from the Vancouver Grizzlies um, set any records. So they're still part of the conversation as well. So your your advice then, not advice, but your 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 sense is that um, it's interesting. It sounds the way you describe that. It almost feels like there's there are two compartments. There's the Vancouver and the Memphis, but yet there are some threads of continuity there that. Um, seems you said cathartic, but seems like a, a, a license to allow it to sort of live on as a continuous story. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I that's that's great. We put it really, really well there. It's still, yeah, it's still like the story is still ongoing, and I think Vancouverites can be proud that you know if if Memphis is doing well, it just it's still part of, you know, like we we are a part of that as well. All right. Last set of questions is about the film itself and how you promote and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, first of that is, um, can you give our audience a sense of um, how uh, extraordinarily difficult it is to make an independent documentary type of film just generally, and then the distribution process and, and how you fund things along the way? Um, I don't think people, yeah. I think people on the outside kind of just take for granted that a 30 for 30 is going to pop up on their on their screen and it's it's just simply not that easy yeah i mean like i mean there could be another like how long do you have essentially is, is my response <laughs> um i i mean the grizzly truth started in 2015 when i when i set out to make finding the country the amount of hours that i put into this you know, probably didn't even make minimum wage. Like, it's just, you, I'm, I was working nonstop every single day, no break, no vacation. It was just, it was so intense. And you're just, you're hustling so hard. You're trying, you're pitching to everyone. You're getting rejected by everyone. Um, I have, I had no connections to the NBA prior to this. Um, and, you know, so, so like everyone that you see who, you know, is is doing an interview with me from from the organization or as a you know a player or someone who worked for the Grizzlies. That's just me sending out like hundreds of emails, doing hundreds of Zoom calls. Um, you know, I it was just I can't. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. It, documentaries are such a grind um, because you also are building relationships with people. You're you you know you're getting you're building a foundation of trust, and that takes time as well. In those points of, I won't call them despair, maybe they were sometimes, what keeps you going? Why continue? Why, especially if the money isn't necessarily coming in or, or may never come in if you if you don't complete the film and get the distribution deal and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, docu I mean, and filmmakers in general, it's not just documentary filmmakers, but I think we are so driven by this this like voice that won't go away about a about a story that we're so that we can't we can't let go of and for me in my in my case it was like the story of the grizzlies and i knew i knew someone was going to tell this story and i knew that like if i didn't get my act together if if i didn't you know 
um, work as hard as I did, someone would do it and it wouldn't be me. And and that just like that thought and that feeling was what drove me and motivated me. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of why I think there's something <laughs> like sometimes I do wish that I, you know, I could just not make <laughs> films because they, they're so they're so hard to make. Um, and but it's just the voice that just won't go away. And so you just have to and, and at the same time, like, I mean, I, I'm saying this, I had so much fun. I had so much fun making this. I got to meet all my childhood heroes. I got to like go on so many adventures, my team, like we had such a blast making this film. It was so much fun. And as much as it was hard, it was it was 100% worth it. Okay. And how does the distribution part work? Uh, is it does that begin during the process of making it or do you kind of just want to make it first and then deal with that and and frankly it's also a modern day question what does even distribution look like these days given the rise of streaming let's say over the last five years yeah i mean we have we've partnered so uh, i'm in canada we have um our uh, distributors photon films um who have been so fantastic and have been huge supporters of my film my career uh, we are on like Crave, um, Apple TV, uh, Google Play, um, Shaw, Telus, Rogers, uh, Cineplex Movies. Like we're on all like a bunch of different s- streaming uh, platforms, um, or uh, yeah, just all these uh, all these platforms. In the states, uh, our um, our sales agent um, is uh, Cargo cargo films um and so yeah they're, they're right now shopping around and we are yeah that's kind of how I, i'm still honestly learning about all of this but um that's that's who's kind of pushing the film for us out there in the world all right so here's the last question then finally i know, I know you're finally ready to be done i'm sure with this uh, this interrogation um what of the um what do you think you've got sort of in the aside from getting this film out uh and the and further distribution and stuff what what other a lot of what you've done to date in your career has been sort of at this nexus of documentary production and sports there's some other things you've done in sports too um is that kind of the lane that you've uh, picked out for yourself going forward are there other stories in that genre or do you have other ideas documentary or otherwise sports or otherwise uh, that you think you want to pursue or maybe have on your plate next? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I, I, there's many more stories that I want to tell, not just sports related stories. Uh, you know, I, I have a few in development and only I think one of them is sports related. Um, and the other three or four are not. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I definitely, I love, I, I come from a sports background um, I think it's really uh, it's an exciting time, especially for for like female sports to to be to to watch kind of the female games kind of grow. I think it's a very exciting time and and you know kind of you know being in this genre, being in this the the sports media landscape and having you know um, being able to make a few films. I do, you know, I, I do want to see more representation. And, and so I definitely want to continue to to play in this field to help other female filmmakers through the door to continue working so that more stories can be told through the perspective of 
of like a, a female lens telling sports stories. I think that's really important. So I, I do want to, I, I, I have other films I want to make, um, all the other stories I want to tell, but I definitely still want to keep, you know, a foot in the door to tell um, sports stories. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, it's, it's, I, I'm not a documentarian. I just play one on TV. But I do think this period of time that we're in now, at least from a professional, maybe even college sports realm, I think we're kind of in a, I think it's kind of a bubble in some respects. I mean, private equity and buying all the, the valuations of all these teams and stuff and the plethora of, I don't know, ESPN Ocho type new leagues or, or you know, four volleyball leagues and world chase tag and pickleball leagues and I, you know, I have rugby and, and we've got cricket coming back to the United States after a couple of failed attempts. I mean, it's the best of times, but I don't know how long those last. And I, to, I gotta tell you, I think the seeds of the mini and full documentaries for the next decade are probably being sown right now. If people are taking notes, I don't know, maybe that's not interesting to you, but I, to me as a, as a, as a vibe going in the sports world, I see that, and I just—it seems like they're just ready to, ready to be at least uh, foundationally built for you know construction in a few years when maybe things are not as financially um, rich. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many uh, cool series coming out, so I don't doubt what you're saying. Well, I doubt what I say very often, but um, <laughs> I, I do, I do. This has been great. So, um. So I fair disclosure to our listeners the only, I've only seen the first of these two films that we've talked about Finding Big Country. I have not seen The Grizzly Truth because it's not available here yet. I've just seen the promo. Right. Um right. and yeah. I eagerly await it and um how for, for uh, as we record this in late June of of this of of 2023 where can people find this to the as far as you know either both stateside and and in Canada <laughs> or even worldwide for that matter. Um We'll be in New Zealand soon. Um, we are still trying to find a home in the States, but you can watch uh, the film on Delta flights. So if you, um, Delta, and maybe is it JetBlue too? I know Delta for sure. So, you know, we've been getting so many messages from people who are watching the film in the air. Um, so yeah, if you want to watch The Grizzly Truth, go buy a ticket to Delta uh, on a Delta flight and uh, you'll be able to watch our, our film, uh, you know, however thousands of feet in the air. All right. Tremendous amounts of interestingness there. Thank you to Kat for that chat. And let us get you set for all of the stuff that Kat has produced uh, for this particular topic that uh, most of which is uh, findable uh, in the United States and uh, elsewhere, depending on where you're listening. So here goes. Uh, I think the best place to start is her website at catjamie.com. That's Kat, K A T. Jamie, J-A-Y-M-E, catjamie.com. You can follow her on Twitter at catjamiefilms and on Instagram at catjamiefilms. Um, the movie that's uh, kind of in soft release, I believe it's available in Canada in various places, not yet in the United States, but very soon, and we will let you know, of course. But you can follow uh, all the doings of The Grizzly Truth, which is the name of that film, uh, on Twitter at the Grizz G R I Z Z Truth, at the Grizz Truth, uh, we'll let you know when we uh, find out where it's available in the states. Uh, but following that on the Twitter will certainly help you as well. Finding Big Country, however, 
uh, has been out since 2018 and uh, is uh, widely available. You'll find it on Amazon Prime Video, uh, or you can go to that via our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Search up this episode with Cat Jamie, numbered 312, and there'll be a convenient referral link there from that episode listing there on the site. And uh, we'll get a truly a, a Canadian penny or two of referral love, and you can stream it right there on your device or whatever uh, you want to watch it on. Uh, you can also follow that uh, news for that movie um, on Twitter at Finding Big C and on Instagram at Finding Big Country. Uh, I think there's also a Facebook uh, page too called uh, at Finding Big Country as well. Uh, let's see. Um, while you're at Kat's website, uh, you will also discover uh, a couple of other uh, features uh, that are well worth watching too as part of this conversation. Uh, one is a short film called We the West, uh, which is, um, uh, I think, a, I guess you could say a spinoff, if you will, of uh, her efforts around the Finding Big Country movie, uh, which really delves into uh, the fans and the fan culture, the memories and the garb, the apparel, the uh, uh, the other ways by which people remember uh, this uh, six year uh, experience that were or was the Vancouver Grizzlies. And uh, you'll find some amazing uh, jackets and uh, shirts and and other ways that people keep the the, uh, the memories alive of of that time in the late 90s, early 2000s, when Vancouver had the Grizzlies as an NBA franchise. That's a, a fun film. And another fun film, which has a bit of a tangential uh, relationship to this story, too, uh, which I believe is also on the NBA's website, uh, but is also uh, viewable on Kat's uh, website, too, is called Born Identities. It's a short, uh, an award-winning short, by the way. I think just about everything she's done thus far has won a whole bunch of different awards. Uh, it uh, gets into, delves into the uh, creation, the ideation, and the execution of both the Toronto Raptors and Vancouver Grizzlies logos, uh, which is interesting kind of stuff. And that's uh, 1995-ish uh, types of stuff, and uh, you'll you'll appreciate the ninety uh, the nineties vibe when it comes to the colors and the schemes, uh, and, and the logo treatments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's also a, another great film that's out there in the ESPN Thirty for Thirty uh, ether. I believe it is uh, uh, soon to be released through that channel. It's called "I'm Just Here for the Riot." Let's just put it this way: the Vancouver Canucks make a um, a, a major appearance uh, in that film too. So again, our thanks to Cat Jamie. Uh, lots of stuff there to uh, enjoy, and hopefully more great stuff to come from her. And we'll certainly enjoy keeping in touch with her uh, for that. While you're uh, you know zooming around online, make sure that you bookmark our website, GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at GoodSeatsStill. On Instagram at Good Seats Still Available. On Facebook at uh, Good Seats Still Available as well. Yes, we are on threads uh, at Good Seats Still Available. So uh, stay tuned to that if you're if you've just downloaded that and use that. We'll try to spiff that up in the weeks to come as well and add that to our, our pile of uh, a social media dissemination. Uh, for you. Our uh, email address is hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Please send us some. And thank you, of course, as always, to uh, the great Atlanta Georgian by the name of Jerry Payne, Jerry Payne Audio Excellence. Thank you for your knob twiddling this week. And thank you, kind listener. Uh, until next week, we uh, look forward to uh, another episode coming your way. Check your feeds. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. 
1995, I was six years alive When my dad told me the news, I got a sparkle in my eye I remember it, yeah, it wasn't just any day When I found out Vancouver joined the NBA It was a big deal for Canada With some text and tape, I put the banner up I dreamt of the jump shot while they dreamt of the gumdrops Lambo on the trampoline while others did the bum drops I loved watching the Grizzlies do the thing It was a new regime when we got Abdurrahim But then the season got locked out in 98 And when they came back one every season was tragic but in 99 man we got a second draft pick so maybe things we're looking up after all we could be more than the laughing stock of basketball <laughs> They gave me the rocks like the same day they took it away. Van City, when the team came, embarrassed her name. My parents blamed the error that came. Started with the white boy, drafted with no game. Who needed road game footwork and had a fear of traffic? They drafted him for marketing and demographics. Could have had Radlib with that draft pick. Chose big country, and we got a last kick. As if Heisley ever gonna leave the team in the town of marijuana. Now them was goners, Memphis go to work, boys The jerseys suck, but still I rock the turquoise It was the politics that got us after all And they tease us like a new team is coming back to y'all Mad they had to fall, Francis with the casket call Love my city, but man, I miss the basketball In my room, in my room I sat in wonder, I sat in wonder Where could my baby My baby left me, she went to Memphis That's like cheering when dudes French kiss your exes That's like cheering for Lex Luthor, Adele Luthers After the Stanley Cup giving a bad name to Vancouver I love to sit with David Stern and maybe have a word But how we let the team leave, how could he have the nerve To move the team premature and give Sharif the word To load the plane next to Dickerson and Tony Masterberg And to be super honest, they even moved the Supersonics So being a fan of Western Canada super awkward I mean we still have Steve Nash, but all I really want for them to bring my team back And nowadays, the dollar is stronger So if they move them back, we get some stars on the roster Mr. David Stern, bad move, sir Signed sincerely, the fans of Vancouver